0: All right, who out here tonight, raise your hand if you've made any New Year's resolutions. Come on, be truthful. You know, it's New Year's. We, we tend to make these New Year's resolutions. We set goals for ourselves. Now, some of you, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I know some of you, it's your diet. It's your food, right? You have made a resolution. I'm, I'm going to be on Weight Watchers. I'm going to be on Fitness Pal. Uh, whatever it may be, because I've got to lose some weight. So that's, that's my goal. That's my New Year's resolution. I've got to lose some weight. And, and then others of you, you know, uh, I'm going to start walking. I'm going to start running. I'm going to start going to the gym. It's, it's about exercise. I, I don't exercise enough. Maybe some of you, and this would probably be a good thing, maybe some of you have even said, I'm going to be, I'm going to have less screen time this year, less time on my phone, on my iPad, whatever it may be, things that take up so much of my time. And so I know that many of you have made some kind of New Year's resolutions. Now, I don't usually make them because every time I do, I break them, and then I got to go confess before the Lord, repent, and you know ask for forgiveness for breaking a vow that I made. So I kind of like to say I'm just going to let my yes be yes, my no be no, and go for there. But, you know, having some goals for a New Year is not a bad thing. It really isn't. You know, and it really, it really feels good because you're looking at it and you're saying, I'm going to start fresh. And don't we all like fresh starts? Isn't, isn't that something we always just say, man, if I could just start over, if I could just begin again. So oftentimes in a new year, we, we do that. We say, let's just start again with this, whatever maybe I've been struggling with. And I think it brings optimism to our life, a chance again to, to do better maybe than we've done before. If that wasn't true, just look at all the losing teams in the NFL that just fired their coaches. Right? They didn't make the playoffs. Got to start a new year with some optimism. So we fire the coach, we get a new one, and we say, all right, we're undefeated for the year 2019. We have optimism. We're starting over. We're setting some new goals for our program, and we feel good about that. And you'll see that every year. But as Christians... What should we be looking towards when we start a new year? What what should our new goals be? And how should we approach the year 2019? And then the name of this message is Pressing On in 2019. And it's from Philippians 3. Now, this was really interesting because as as soon as I got the message, I started praying, and my mind just went right to here. And then as I'm preparing it and I send it to my wife, she goes, but that's what I'm teaching on next Monday night with the ladies. Well, ladies... Don't miss out because I guarantee it will be better than what you hear tonight. Okay, so make sure you're there next Monday night. And it will be, it will be different. But let's take a look at Philippians chapter 3 because Paul gives us some great instruction on in how to approach a new year, I think, and, and what we should be looking forward to. So let's start with Philippians 3, starting in verse 12. He says, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I think in order to understand what Paul's really talking about here, we need to go back a little bit to verses 9 and 10. So in Philippians 3, 9, he says this, speaking of himself, that I may be found in him, found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. So I want to focus in on a couple of things that Paul says here. In verse 9, he says, I want to be found in him. Shane just mentioned that. What does that mean, be found in him? How are we found in him? Well, the rest of verse 9 gives us a clue there. He says, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, this is critical for us to understand here. You see, what Paul's doing in this whole chapter is that he's, he's really laying out the uselessness of our own righteousness under the law, or his own righteousness under the law, any works of the flesh. He's basically saying they're worthless; they're useless. He says in back in verse three, he says, "For we are the true circumcision." So he's saying those who are the true circumcision, in other words, those uh, who have been set apart for God. We are the true circumcision who do three things. Catch these now: three things. The true circumcision is those who worship in the spirit of God. Two, those who glory in Christ Jesus. And three, those who put no confidence in the flesh. So the people who are truly set apart for God, there's three characteristics of, of those people. One is they worship in the Spirit of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Two is that they, their glory is in Christ Jesus, not themselves. Their glory is in Christ. And 3 there they're people who look at their flesh and say, there is no good thing in my flesh. I will put no confidence in my flesh, no confidence in my own abilities. And then Paul goes on and he reminds the readers that if anyone ever had a pedigree that could bring salvation by the law, it would be Paul the apostle. But it would have been Paul the apostle before he became Paul the Apostle. It would have been when he was Saul of Tarsus. Look at verses 4, 5, and 6 in Philippians 3. He says, Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, one who strove to follow the law exactly in every technical sense, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. When Paul was Saul of Tarsus, his zeal for the law was such that he persecuted the church of Christ, thinking that these were a bunch of crazy people who were blaspheming the law of God. So as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law. In other words, how possibly right you could be according to the law. Look at what he says. I was found blameless. What does that mean? He never sinned? No. See, righteousness according to the law was that you followed the law in terms of when you did sin, uh, you came and you offered the right sacrifices before God. And you placed your sin upon an animal who was then sacrificed for you. So righteousness, according to the law, meant that. So what Paul is saying is, hey, when it comes to that kind of righteousness, I was blameless. So with all of those things, and Paul's not bragging here. He's just telling the facts. He's saying, this is who I was. But Paul realized that those things could never actually help him to be found in Christ. In fact, it says he counted them as loss. But even more than loss, it says he counted them as rubbish. Now that word rubbish is an interesting word here. And the word study by Zodohates in Greek here, the Greek word is skubalon. And I want you to listen to what he describes it as. This word rubbish, that which is thrown to the dogs, dregs, refuse, what is thrown away as worthless, spoken of the refuse of grain, chaff, or a table of slaughtered animals, and I hate to say it here, but this is what it says of dung, and figuratively of the filth of the mind, in the New Testament meaning refuse, things that are worthless. Wow, that's a powerful word that Paul uses here. And this is how he looks at what he was. So when he says, not looking behind, but pressing on, you see, he could look behind and say, this is what I was, and I thought I was righteous. But I cannot be found in Christ by any of those means. So I think one of the first things that we want to do in order to press on in this new year of 2019 is to make sure that our relationship with Christ is based upon the proper criteria. That we understand that there is nothing in us, not any works. I don't know what's going on there, but we'll live with it. Not any works, not any righteousness in us. There's nothing in us that can cause us to be found in Christ. That it's only by our faith in him and his finished work on the cross that we are found in Christ. And as a result of that, we are people who, as the scripture said earlier, we're people who glory only in Christ, not in ourselves. We're people who worship him by the power of his Holy Spirit, not by our own works. And we put absolutely no confidence in our flesh, meaning our ability to do anything that would bring us into that relationship. Well, that's the first part. Making sure that it's based on the right criteria. The second part, it says, knowing him. If you look back in verse 8, it says, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, the surpassing value, greater than anything. And in verse 10, he says, that I may know him, in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. So Paul's giving us a couple of real key points in terms of knowing him. Now I want to take the second one first. Let's get the bad news out of the way. <laughs> he says we, we, we want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. Now I got to tell you when you start talking about suffering in the church today. It is not a very popular subject. I think the majority of us spend a great deal of our time trying to figure out ways to avoid suffering, don't we? I mean, we don't want to suffer. But Paul says this in Romans 8, 16, and 17, and you can write it down or you can turn to it real quick if you want to. He says this, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God, And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Now, now what does Paul mean here? You know, I, I think we have to dig into this a little bit. Well, one thing I can say is this is something it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we can share with Christ's suffering on the cross. We're not going to be put on a cross. We may be put on a cross. I shouldn't say that. And there are Christians that have done that. But I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. Because, see, even if we were to put on a a cross, it wouldn't be for the salvation of mankind, right? We can't do that. We have no ability to do that. So we could suffer that way. And I'm always kind of curious as, I don't know if you ever follow this, but, you know, when it comes close to Easter time and you see guys in some of the different parts of the world and what do they do? They have somebody put them up on a cross. Now, they don't drive nails through their hands and their feet. Um, but they'll rope them to a cross. And they kind of want to identify with Christ's suffering in that way. I I don't know. That's a little strange to me. Because, again, I don't care what you do physically. You're not the one on the cross suffering for the sins of the world. See, Jesus' real suffering, yes, I'm sure the physical suffering was, was horrific and horrible. But I really believe that... The real suffering that that took place was the fact that he had to take the sin of the world upon his shoulders. And that and that the Bible says that for that moment, he was separated from his father. Who could not look upon that sin with approval. I think Paul's talking about something different here in our suffering with him. So I would like for you to turn to John chapter 15, if you would. John chapter 15. Starting in verse 18, John 15, 18, Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love its own. But because you are not of the world, those of you that are in Christ, you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you a slave is not greater than his master if they persecuted me they will also persecute you if they kept my word they will keep yours also So I believe that we're starting to see what Jesus is talking about. Or he's talking about the world hating us and us suffering persecution. If you wanted to you could flip over to 2 Timothy 3:12, 2 Timothy 3:12 or write it down for your notes. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I want you to to hear that again or read that again. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. You see, if you desire to live godly, you're going to live different than the rest of the world. You're not going to look the same. You're not going to act the same you're not going to be the same and all who desire that are going they're going to look weird to the world and it says if you desire that you will be persecuted and then if you'd flip over to 1 Peter chapter 4 way towards the right side of the bible there almost to the end 1 Peter chapter 4 read these two verses with me starting in verse 12 it says beloved Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. And this was happening to the Christians at the time. As though some strange thing was happening to you. Verse 13, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. So again, the persecution began early, in the early church, and it has continued, and it will continue on until the time of Christ. So, why is it that we seem to always get caught off guard when we face persecution? And I think maybe in other parts of the world it's not so much that way. But here in America, you know, we may get persecuted at some time. Somebody call you a name because you spoke out for Christ. Somebody shun you because of that, and we get, oh, oh my gosh. i got to be more careful in what I say. We, we just seem like we don't expect it. And I think that that's because, look, we've had it really good in this country for a couple hundred years, haven't we? The majority of people in this country have, maybe they're not true believers in Christ, but they've always accepted that there is a God and that there are people who really follow God closely And we haven't really suffered that kind of persecution. But i got to tell you, that's no longer true in America. And so we should expect that what we were told here in the Bible is going to happen to us. We're going to suffer persecution. Now, to the extent of how much, I don't know. Um, I can just say personally, over the years, as a teacher in a public high school, there were many times when I suffered, and I would call it, mild persecution some by other teachers who would make fun of my Christianity, Uh, sometimes by principals who would call me into their office and chew me out for things I said or or did or put a note in my file. You know, that's nothing. Very slight persecution. But at least you know that it's coming. And I think we all realize that it could get worse and worse. We're going to stand up in this country for, you know, what we believe in as Christians, but we should expect that we're going to face persecution from now on. I think one of the things is, though, and, and Peter writes about this, is we, we need to make sure if we're getting persecuted, let's not have it be for the wrong reasons. What do I mean by that? Well, you're, you're in 1 Peter, look at verses 14, 15, and 16 here. He says this, If you are reviled for the name of Christ... You're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure, verse 15, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer. And I think we all read that and go, oh yeah, okay, well that's not me, that's not me. But look at this next one. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Hmm. What does that mean? Maybe those other ones don't apply to me, but what about troublesome meddler? Well, uh, if you look this up, the term actually means a busybody in other men's matters. That's a short summary of it. There's some other things there. A busybody in other men's matters. Now, I have some thoughts on that, but I'm not going to share. I'm going to let you wrestle with what that is and what that means. But look, Let's not be persecuted for being a busybody in other men's matters. And I think at times it involves us just being obnoxious and getting into conversations with people uh, in ways that we don't need to do. We don't need to always be condemning people and telling them everything they've done wrong and putting ourselves in their, their business. When it comes to non believers, we need to understand that non believers are going to act like non believers. They're not supposed to act like Christians because they aren't. And I think sometimes this, this term of being our busybody in their matters, we do that. And we don't want to be persecuted for that. We want to be persecuted for the name of Christ and acting and being. Like Christ. So in verse 16 he says. But if anyone suffers as a Christian. As a true Christian. He is not to be ashamed. But it's to glorify God in this name. So if you're getting persecuted. Because you're loving on people. And maybe you may in that love have to speak the truth sometime. And say hey I'm worried about you. I'm concerned about you. You know your actions show me that. You don't have a relationship with Christ. And I want to share with you what it means to have that relationship. If you get pushed back on, if you suffer persecution for that, don't be ashamed of that. And also, don't go around bragging about it. Oh, I got persecuted today because I stood up for Jesus. You know? Yeah, you were probably being a jerk is what you were probably doing. So just don't be ashamed, but understand that it's bringing glory to God. Because of what you're doing. So look, if in this new year you're you're committed to knowing him more, you might find yourself sharing in that fellowship of suffering. And as Peter said in verse 13, we're to rejoice in that. Why? Well, write again, write down Romans 8, 18. One of my favorite verses. Romans 8, 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy... To be compared with the glory that's to be revealed in us look what we go through now is nothing compared to what we're gonna see when we get face to face with Jesus and and I I would say the more I get to know him the more time I spend with him the more I realize the truth of this statement I think when I was a young Christian I was like yeah whatever you know Who knows how long that's going to be? I'm a little concerned about what's happening to me right now. But as I get older and spend more time with him, the truth of that statement, I don't really think we have a clue of what it means to share in the riches of his glory. I really don't. I mean, we can read some things about heaven, but I just don't think we have a clue. I think that we're going to be so blown away when that time comes that we'll probably... I know that we're going to remember how we thought before. And we'll be going, boy, was I stupid. Boy, I didn't get it at all. Man, I just don't think we have a clue. But let's get to the second point here. Knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Now, why why did Paul put it that way? Why did he say the power of his resurrection? Well, I think it's because... The power over death is probably viewed as the ultimate power. I'd say if you're going to say two things that really prove power, one would be creation and two would be power over that creation and power over death. And if Jesus has the power that can raise one from the dead, including himself, what is there that he didn't have the power to do? What could, could keep him from, from doing anything that he chose to do? So we look at it and say, if you can raise someone from the dead, you can do anything. And I think that's why Paul uses this. And the word in Greek, of course, for power is the word dunamis. You've probably heard that before. Same word that we get our uh, word in English, dynamite. It's that kind of power. And when we see dynamite blowing things up, we say, that's a lot of power there. Right? What's dunamis power? And I want you to listen here as I give Thayer's definition of this. He says, it's strength, power, ability, inherent power, power. Power residing in anything by virtue of its nature, think about that, or which a person or thing exerts and puts forth. He gives examples. It's a power for performing miracles, it's moral power and excellence of soul, it's the power and influence which belongs to riches and wealth, power and resources arising from numbers, and power consisting or resting upon armies. Horses or hosts. So you can see it's a, it's a wide variety of things. A wide variety of things. But you get the, the idea of this is a big word. This isn't talking about a little bit of power. This is talking about a lot of power. And then I think most of us would say, well, yeah, sure, I get it. I know Jesus has that kind of power. I mean, We saw it in in the New Testament. We saw that he raised people from the dead. But just knowing that Jesus has that kind of power is not what Paul is talking about here. Because if we look back, we know that even those who rejected Christ in the time that he was here on earth, they knew he had power. They saw his power. They watched it in operation. And yet they rejected him. And if they didn't see it firsthand, they probably heard about it secondhand they knew that he had that kind of power you know when jesus raised lazarus from the dead you think that word didn't get around pretty quickly it did but paul is trying to say something to us that's really important here it's not about knowing that jesus has that power because he uses the word ginosko ginosko in the greek implies that You not only know by head knowledge but you know in a personal intimate experiential and relational way that you know by experience you know by relationship this power not just knowing that he has the power but knowing the power itself in other words knowing that Jesus resurrection power that we experience that in our own life now You know, right away, a lot of teachers are going to use that very verse to talk about, yes, we should all be healing people, doing miracles, raising people from the dead, promoting their false doctrine that if you just have enough faith, you're going to do all of these things. By the way, if you think you have that power to raise people from the dead, when I die, please don't try to exercise that power. Please. When it's my time to go to be with Jesus, I want to go to be with Jesus. I don't want to come back. All right? But look, here at Living Truth, you know, we teach that all the spiritual gifts are for today and that there is a spiritual gift of miracles. And we believe in miracles. Have we not seen miracles in this very body? We've seen healings. We've seen miracles take place. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. His point is, that we're to experience God's resurrection power in our lives in a daily basis, in very natural kinds of things that we do each day. And it's a natural outcome of us just getting to know him more, not trying to manufacture up enough faith to do this. How do I mean that? Well, when we get to know him more, we experience him giving us grace in order to do the things which he has commanded us to do. What are some of the examples of that? Well, he gives us the grace to have a love for others. A love especially for those in the body, but not only those in the body. He gives us the grace to have love for those who are even our enemies. Those who revile us. He gives us the grace to reach out to those who are hurting, Those who are lost in their sin, and and it's with the love of Christ, not with condemnation in our heart. And he gives us the grace to pray for the salvation and to see change in those, those people's lives. He gives us the grace to preach the gospel to others, even at times when we feel uncomfortable or maybe even truly afraid. And he gives us grace to put the needs of others above our own needs. Now, let me ask you, can you do those things without the power of God? Maybe you can, but I sure can't. It's the power of God that gives us the grace to do those things. And we need the power of God to demonstrate the agape love that is spoken about in 1 Corinthians 13 and Galatians 5. You can write those down if you want, but... What are those things? Well, they're things that manifest in things like patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. In the ability to forgive other people and not keep a record of their wrongs against us. It manifests itself in the strength to protect other people. The ability to protect not just them physically, physically but maybe their reputation as well. It gives us the ability to not be easily angered, except on the 70 when you have to go 40 miles an hour and the driver cuts right in front of you and splats your windshield and now you got to get off again. I'm just kidding. Okay. The ability to not be easily angered. It gives you the capacity to be humble rather than prideful and Arrogant, as 1 Corinthians 13 instructs us not to be. So I think that we need to ask ourselves a question tonight. And that is, are we experiencing that kind of resurrection power in our life? As we look at that list, are we, are we seeing that in our life? Are we experiencing that on a day-to-day basis? God's grace and power to do those things which we couldn't do in our own power? And for you, if the answer is yes, then praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But I think probably most of us would say, well, yes, and then sometimes no. Sometimes we're not. Well, what does that mean then? Well, it's simple. It just means that we need to know him more and more in our life. In verse 11 of Philippians 3... Paul says that there's actually a purpose to all this. So if you look back there in Philippians 3.11, what's the purpose? He says, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, at first glance, it might appear that Paul is kind of implying that he wasn't so sure that he would attain that resurrection, even though Jesus promised it to every believer. And that he was still maybe working to try to attain that. But we know that's not true. Paul just said it's by by faith in Christ. So what is it that he's trying to say here? What is he trying to teach us here? Well, look at verses 12, 13, and 14. He says, not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. And again, he says, brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, what was it? Forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting the the past when I was a non-believer and trying to do it my own. And that may mean more than that, but it certainly means that. And reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, What's he saying here? Well, really, in a nutshell, Paul's just saying, look, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not there. I'm not in this state of perfection or completion that I know I will be one day when I'm face-to-face with Jesus. And so I'm just going to keep pressing on toward that goal. I'm just going to take it a day at a time, and I'm going to do what God calls me to do, and I'm going to spend more time with him, and I'm going to get to know him more. So the question, of course, always comes up, well, then how do I really get to know him more? And I think there's an obvious answer. Isn't it true that in any relationship we have, that we have to spend more time with people in order to get to know them better? That's in any human relationship, any relationship we're going to have. We've got to spend more time. And so the, the obvious answer is, I, I need to spend more time with Jesus. And I know for a lot of you, that's a difficult thing to do. And some of you don't know really how to do that. And I hope that we're here to help you with that. You know, you can spend time using devotional books, but studying the Word of God, whatever it may be, I'm going to share in a minute on that. But we need to spend more time with Him. There's there's absolutely, and I will say this unequivocally, there is no substitute for spending more time with Jesus if you want to get to know Him. None. And part of that is you being here tonight. We're spending time with Jesus tonight, are we not? In his word, in fellowship with one another. And that's why when I look out here and I see you people here on Wednesday night, uh, it just just encourages my heart so much. Because I know that it's a sacrifice to get here on a Wednesday night. But you're here because you want to get to know Jesus more. And that is awesome. But it's not just more time. Now, uh, today on Facebook, uh, a a former player of mine at Calvary Chapel High School, his dad was a pastor, and then he went into the ministry as a youth pastor, uh, and his dad passed away about a year ago, and he became the senior pastor of his church. And this is what he wrote today on Facebook. And, And I'm sharing this with you because when you're asking the question, how do I get to know Jesus more, and you're saying, okay, first it's the amount of time, but what do I do with this time? This is what he wrote today, and I just, I just really appreciated this. He says, my New Year's diet, heavy intake of God's word, prayer, fellowship, and the Holy Spirit, heavy intake of all that. Then he says, no self, no world, no sin, stay active in obedience and grace. And, you know, it warms my heart to have one of my young guys, but he's not so young anymore, uh, that played for me as a pastor and reaching out to people and saying, look, you want to get to know Jesus more? This is what you need to do because this is what I'm doing. And he's encouraging his church in that same way. And I want you to notice the second part of this. He said, stay active in two things, obedience and grace. You see... Trusting and obeying Jesus more will help you to know him more. Trusting in him. When he gives you instructions to do something, you've got to trust that he'll give you the ability to do it, and you've got to do what he tells you to do. When he says you need to surrender this issue that you've had in your life that's worrying you and making you anxious and and causing issues in your family, You need to obey him and surrender it to him as he says. And I really believe that the more you surrender to him, the more that you hear what he has to say and obey what he has to say to you, the more he reveals himself to you, the more you will get to know him. How can I say that? Well, remember the parable of the talents? You know, each person got a certain amount of talents and the one who did something with what they had was given more. And the one who did nothing with what they had, what he had was taken away. Galatians 6.8 says this. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. You see, there's the reaping and sowing principle there's the natural consequences of what we do the more we obey the more we trust the more we surrender the more he will reveal himself to you and and as Andy pastor Andy put in here at the end of what he said in obedience and grace he says this he says the results of this of these things that he instructed to do and is saying this is what I want to do the results are going to be this more love more joy more peace, and more spiritual fruit, and more Jesus. And he says, all for his glory. But then he says this as well. And when I fail, there is always no condemnation in Christ. Isn't that awesome? When you fail in this, there's no condemnation in Christ. He's not saying, oh, come on, you're failing again. No, he's saying, just spend some more time with me. It'll be good. Just be with me. Just talk to me. Just hear from me through my word. It'll be good. There's no condemnation. Plenty of forgiveness and grace ready to be applied in our life. And I think he hit it right on the head there. So as you look forward to 2019, I hope that you will want to get to know Jesus more. And I hope if you're going to set any goals, and believe me, I'm not against setting fitness goals and all those other things. I hope you do that too. But if you're going to set one goal for 2019, I would encourage that goal to be to get to know Jesus more and more in 2019. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you once again for your word. Lord, as we look at Philippians 3, there are so many places that we can go, so many things that you want to teach us. But Lord, it's so encouraging to read what you have to say it's encouraging to see that Paul who once persecuted the church could say at the end of his life I've run the race I've finished the course and Lord he's an example to us for each one of us that is running that race right now that we would finish strong And Lord that this year as we uh, endeavor to be closer to you, that we get to know you better and better. We get to know you more and more. And we do it, Lord, being obedient, trusting you, surrendering, and spending more and more time with you. And so, Lord, I thank you for all these people that are out here tonight, their commitment to you, Lord, to be here on a Wednesday night, to hear from you. Lord, I pray that whatever you have to speak to each individual tonight, that it will be loud and clear to them. If there's any instruction they need to follow, Lord, that you'll be speaking to them right now. Lord, if there's any sin in their life that they know is keeping them from knowing you more, that they will confess that sin. They will turn from it, Lord, and receive your grace and your forgiveness, Lord. And Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that realizes maybe I'm really not in Christ, I need to be found in him and and I'm not there, then Lord, I pray you would speak to their heart right now. Lord, that you would convince them of their need for you. That there is no other way to have a relationship with God than to be found in you. And if that's you tonight, then I'm going to just offer a simple prayer and I'd ask that you pray it with me. Jesus, I see tonight my need for a Savior. I see that I need to be found in you and I want to have that happen. And so tonight, I turn my life over to you. I turn from my sin and living my life the way I chose to live it. And Lord, I want to live life the way you tell me to live it. And so, Lord, I receive you as my Savior and my Lord this evening. And I thank you that you died on that cross to pay that penalty, that you suffered in a way I don't have to suffer, Lord. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And Lord, again, for each of these precious saints tonight, I pray that you will just bless them immensely in this new year of 2019 as they strive to follow you and to get to know you more. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.